I'm John Miller, and welcome back to Everybody Trades. And if you know me well at all, you know that I'm a gigantic University of Missouri fan, particularly football and men's basketball. So if you saw the story that made the rounds last week about the University of Kansas offering a story called Angry White Male Studies, you might expect me to take the easy way and take some pot shots at Kansas. Well, as much as I would love to make fun of Kansas, and I can't promise you that I will not in this episode, that would be fairly intellectually dishonest of me because I, for the last few years, have had a love-hate relationship with my alma mater, the University of Missouri. You see, I've completely ceased donating any money of any kind to them via the Alumni Association, even annual dues to the Alumni Association. I'm simply just out on the values that are being taught, for the most part, at the University of Missouri. And a part of this idea, again, it's this idea that, oh, angry white male studies. See, there's a couple points to make here. Again, it's about values, and it's about value. Now, I'm just going to stick to values just for a minute here, and then I'll get to value, because I think that's maybe the bigger discussion that can be had here on this particular show. Now, first of all, when we're talking about the University of Missouri and the University of Kansas, we're talking about public institutions. We're talking about large state tax-funded institutions that also have their own endowment, and they also accept various donations from various donors and alumni and what have you. So basically what I'm saying is is there's a mix of public and private money that is funding these universities. But one thing is certainly true. Both of these are large institutions that have tens of thousands of people involved in them from the students to the education to the faculty and all the way up. So when you have an institution, a large institution of this size, what are the odds that we are going to be able to collectively impose or teach or just have a collective large culture of values, of same ideas? In other words, what are the odds that 20,000 people or 30,000 people are going to homogeneously, simultaneously have the same values? It's almost impossible, right? One would think so, at least if we live in a world of critically thinking individuals. But increasingly, it seems that all we have is just a monothought, a monoculture, groupthink. That's really all we're capable of in 2019, especially on a college campus, ironically enough. See, it seems like groupthink is as strong as it's ever been on a college campus. And it's really quite bizarre. And part of that actually does come back to the idea of value. You see, back in the day, and by back in the day, I don't, it really wasn't that long ago. We're talking 50 years ago, the 1960s and early 70s, when my parents went to the University of Missouri. You see, my mom likes to talk about and brag about how she paid through college. She paid her way through college. And I'm very proud of her for that. I think she should be proud of herself for that. Of course. She worked her booty off to get her way through college, to get her master's degree, 
And when she was out, she took, you know, she took jobs that paid her a dollar or two an hour typing at the university. Not exactly glamorous stuff, but she made it work. She made her way through college debt free. But of course, today, sure, kids can work their way through college, but with the wildly increasing costs of college, what are the odds are that they're going to be able to get out debt free? In some cases, virtually zero. Because the thing was, back in the day, in the 60s, when my mom went to college, you could pay for an entire semester with, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars or whatever it might cost. But then something happened. It actually happened right as my mom and dad, just before they were entering college. See, in 1965, that was when the federal government first started guaranteeing student loans. And then in 1979, under the Carter administration, the Department of Education began. And it's no surprise that ever since then, costs of college have spiraled completely out of control. And now the, the college is so much more expensive to a really a ridiculous degree than it ever was before there now needs to be a completely different value calculation for people of my age and young, well, really for younger people. I mean, I'm 36. How many people are going to college at 36? But no, really, for my children's generation and for people who are currently in high school thinking about going to college, haven't made that decision yet, you all need to make a very, very, very different value calculation than your parents and grandparents did. And that's really quite simple because, again, when my parents and their generation, the baby boomer generation, when they were going through college, it was much more justifiable for a young man or a young woman who didn't quite know where they wanted to be in the world or what they wanted to do professionally moving forward. It was a much easier value proposition to say, okay, go to college for a while, move out, Expand your horizons. Meet some new friends, some new people, some new colleagues, some new peers that are from a different place than you, from a different culture. Again, if you're a white male, perhaps even a happy white male, yes, those people exist as well, KU. See, I couldn't resist making fun of the Jayhawks. But the point is these four years of self-discovery where we're supposed to find ourselves and figure out who we are and what we want to do Moving into our adult lives, perhaps even back in the day, yeah, you even used to find a mate often at college, but that's now considered old-fashioned as well. But without getting too far down that road, my overall point here is if you're just going to be going to college to mess around for four years and, quote, find yourself, well, I would suggest that that's a really expensive proposition to go sixty to to $100,000 in debt for. And in fact, that's not a way of starting your life anew and creating a great opportunity for your adult life, it's actually a millstone around your neck. So to me, this idea of, hey, let's go to college and hang out for a few years, and then while you're there, hopefully you'll figure out what you're doing, to me, that idea should be dead completely, at least in at least for the non-Uber wealthy. I mean, if you're a middle-class type person who's you know, maybe you've put some money away. Well, all that money that you've put away is probably going to disappear when your grubby children want to go to 
Georgia and study angry white male studies for four years. And then they're, guess what? They're going to come out with no actual valuable skills. See, again, we're back to value there. So what has to happen now? See, I'll tell you right now, my wife is pregnant as we speak. My little baby is growing inside my beautiful wife. And I'll tell you right now, I don't have a whole lot of interest in sending her off to random, gigantic building college du jour for her to find herself. I have no interest in that. Now, however, my beautiful young daughter, if she wants to be, I don't know, a chemical engineer or something to pick a (laughs) fancy topic at random, if she wants to be a pharmacist, she wants to be a chemist, something that, yes, requires a specific higher education that then yields a specific high-paying job like a pharmacist. Hey, if she wants to go to pharmacy school, fantastic. And by the way, pharmacy school is not a four-year program either, so even better. Again, these are the types of calculations that we need to start having. And quite frankly, if I can talk to white America for a second as another white person, hi, whitey. You're probably white if you're listening to this, let's be honest. If you're not, hey, what's up? What's up, guys? We're cool. We're all cool here, right? everybody's welcome on the everybody trades podcast but for real white america listen to me for a second don't get so uppity about your kids going to college see there's this sort of hoity-toity mentality of oh well college people the college educated there's the educated class and the college class and if you're not in that then by golly you're out of the cool club and you're just a lesser person somehow Well, my contention is stop worrying about all that. Some of the smartest, most successful people in the world today did not finish college. Some of them didn't even go. Almost nobody asks you for your college transcript. See, that's that's the really funny irony of the whole thing. I'm talking into a microphone right now, and nobody asked me for a degree. See, the amount of technology, the amount of opportunity that we have today is really remarkable. And the whole college idea, going to a gigantic room to get some general education for four years, that is, to me, just about dead. It really is. We're, We're moving into a world of much more specialized education. I think people, entrepreneurs, who start realizing this, who start creating their own schools, if you will, their own training centers outside of the mainstream, old-school, brick-and-mortar, gigantic campus, let's-go-for-15-hours-a-semester type deal. I really think that's all coming to an end. And as a sports fan, I can't help but think in 20 years, what is this whole model going to look like? Are we still going to have these huge colleges with these huge enrollments and all this stuff? Because... It certainly can't keep going like this in terms of the cost of attendance. Tuition cannot keep this trend up forever. Eventually, people are going to say, enough, I can't afford this. Clearly, some people already have, but even more so. The whole middle class, by the time my daughter is college age, if this trend continues, there's going to be absolutely nobody in the middle class who can afford to go to college, period. It's going to be done. And for those of you who are saying, well, the solution is, okay, then the government needs to take it over even further. 
and then we'll just give everyone free college. Oh boy, there's so many problems with that, I almost don't even know where to begin. But just to make a small point, I will just say that even charging people $50 a semester would be better than free college. Now, don't get me wrong, it'd still be a giant government program that would have its own special sets of problems. But if you're just going to give everyone something for nothing, they aren't going to appreciate it. When somebody hands you, I don't know, a, a bag of chips or a free cookie or something on the street or on the plane or whatever it might be, how much value do you have for that? Almost none, right? You have no regard for that piece of property whatsoever because it's now in your mind that, oh, somebody just gave it to me for nothing, so it must not be worth a whole lot. And there's this whole idea that if suddenly if everyone is going to college, if everyone is capable of going to college, if in theory everyone has a college degree because apparently that's utopia to some people. Well, I would say that if everyone has a college degree, then nobody has a college degree. You think that's extreme? Okay. Well, if everybody is a brain surgeon, then nobody is a brain surgeon. Am I right? We can't all be brain surgeons. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, the market and natural human behavior and nature will actually find the brain surgeons if you just let it happen. You see, there are people out there who are really, really interested in cutting your head open and seeing what's inside. I am not one of those people. I find that horrifying. I don't like blood and guts. Cutting somebody's skull, I'd probably pass out just at the sound and smell of the saw. Let's be honest. I am not a tough man. But, fortunately, there are a lot of people who are wired differently and would love nothing more than once again to saw your skull open. It's a beautiful thing. And just like the individual who's very interested in literally sawing your skull open, there are a lot of people like me who are interested in figuratively getting inside that head and teaching you something different. So perhaps we'll actually be much better off when this whole statewide, aggressive, coercive education establishment is trying to shove everybody into it like a bunch of cattle, right? Like a bunch of cattle being led into the slaughterhouse. It's essentially what we are. We're all on a big assembly line of education. And in fact, when there isn't really education outside of that establishment, or at least it's very tough to get that thing started, and it's very tough for people to get outside of that paradigm the paradigm the college paradigm the paradigm of so-called higher education because everybody wants better for their kids for the most part that's a very common human thing and what we've done we've done a great job in the last couple centuries of improving life to a level never before seen in human history so yes And especially during the Great Depression, the college education was seen as the way out. It was seen as the way to get a job. But you know what? The times change, and the times have changed dramatically. And part of that, again, it's from the Department of Education. It's from our government getting involved in loans and unnecessarily increasing the cost of education. I mean, if you really think about it, in a world where we have smartphones, tablets, 
constant connectivity, there's absolutely no reason that education should be more expensive because it's obvious that information is more readily available, easier to find, everything. Really, education should be less valuable. But, again, that gets back to us. If we're going to value staring into our phones and staring into social media over learning something, then that's then the education establishment, again, they kind of have us. That's where they kind of have us because if we as a society, we as parents, are going to skirt our responsibilities as educators, as parents, as people who are teaching the next generation of people, we're just going to give that responsibility, that incredibly important responsibility to somebody else. Don't be surprised if the results are not exactly what we would have desired. And this is a non-political statement. I don't know that anybody is particular, particularly happy with the education establishment right now. See, the left seems to notice and that, hey, there's a lot of people who are of, of marginalized backgrounds, as they say, that are not doing very well in school. Now, why that is, we can talk about it. But then the right is, of course, you know, they're not very happy about this angry white male studies nonsense either. Okay. Well, it seems like, again, both sides of the aisle, quote unquote, are dissatisfied with the educational establishment. So what you're all telling me is just stay the course, Get some different people in charge and things will get better? Yeah, I don't think so. No, what we need is more competition. We need to allow, again, the left-wingers who are concerned about what they're concerned about, the right-wingers who are concerned about what they're concerned about. And again, there's more than just two value systems out there. I'm just making a point, just drawing a contrast here. If there are dozens and dozens, hundreds and thousands possibly of different value systems then fine. Let them emerge. Let them emerge freely through their own education establishments. And then the results of them will be what they will. People will learn what worked and what didn't. And then if they continue to stick with what didn't work, well, that will be their own stupidity and their own stubbornness. And we won't have to feel bad about it at all, will we? But again, that gets back to aggression, political aggression. That's really what the education establishment is. It's all aggressive, people. It's all about, hey, we're going to force you into your values, into my value system. To heck with your value system. My value system is the one that's important, and that's what we're going with. Whether you go to Missouri or Kansas. See, that's the irony. Oh, Missouri and Kansas, they hate each other. I guarantee you their value systems at these different universities, the value systems of the administration and the professors, are almost identical. You see, what struck me most, or at least one of the things that struck me the most about the white male, the angry white male course at KU, was that it was three hours. See, no, not just a once a week thing. Nope, this is a three hour class. So essentially, if this is just a show up and get an A type class, as I'm guessing it was, See, I had a similar class. I had an honors class, in fact, at the University of Missouri called Peace Studies. Okay? And I, I got some stuff out of that. Don't get me wrong. It was a, it was a good class as far as, okay, I learned some stuff, uh, got some different perspectives. Again, the whole broaden your horizons idea of college. Well, I got it in this three-hour peace class. But that was a show up and get an A class. It really was. 
And for that to be that A, that three hour A to be the equivalent of somebody who gets an A in organic chemistry for three hours, that doesn't seem to me to make any sense at all. See, I think that's educational fraud on some level. And again, we're getting back to values and value as well. If your values are about peace, if you're for non-aggression, and I am, I actually am about peace and non-aggression, so great. But the point is, now we're, now we're talking about value. Is it valuable for me to pay somebody thousands of dollars to teach me something that I could easily Google on my tablet or my laptop in no time? See, again, another class I took, the history of baseball, another BS honors class, to be honest with you, where essentially you don't have to do a whole lot, but you get an easy A for a one-hour class. All right, great. Again, I love baseball, and I love history. Nothing wrong with the history of baseball. But when it comes to value, is it worth spending thousands, hundreds of dollars, really thousands of dollars, on a bunch of classes that really aren't teaching you anything directly that is going to result, again, in any direct sense, in a financial windfall, in any professional windfall of any kind? we got to think about that. It was an easy calculation, an easier calculation when, again, college was cheap. And now that college is incredibly expensive, you better think long and hard about what kind of value that these values, these subjective values that are really just being, you're being indoctrinated with. Is this an actual education? Is this something that's really getting me value? Please ask yourself that and certainly ask it for your children because... I really have no desire to indoctrinate my kids. And quite frankly, hey, remember the social contract? Hey, I would like to officially and loudly proclaim something right now. I would like to opt out of my daughter getting a social security number. See, in America, we're told we're born free. Well, it seems to me we're born assigned with a number. And that doesn't feel very free to me. So if it's all right with you, people you good people in the social contract, I would like to opt out on my daughter's behalf. Oh, wait, I can't do that? So you're saying so you're saying that it's an offer I can't refuse? Okay, that makes more sense. All right, I'll leave you with that one. So this has been another fun episode of Everybody Trades for Me. Hope you enjoyed it as well. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>